Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Welcome to Sex and Science Hour. Happy Friday, everybody. So, I think it's a happy Friday. I think it's a happy Friday, too. You know what happened to me today, in fact? What's that? About 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the afternoon, uh-huh. I started feeling a little tired. I was like, you know, it's Friday afternoon. Kind of dragging a little bit. I think I'll uh, have some kombucha to get me through the rest of the afternoon. You know, because it has a little bit of caffeine. It provides a little bit of a kick. Um, so I opened up this bottle of kombucha that I had bought at the store. I brew my own, but, uh, you know, this time I, I went with a store-bought one because I just wanted something different. And I opened it up. It says 0.5% alcohol by volume on the on the side of the thing. So it's like essentially non-alcoholic. There might be a trace amount, but uh-huh. half a percent, that's nothing. Beer and wine are like 5% alcohol, right? Or maybe a little bit less for beer, but yeah, yeah r- around there. And so, you know, 0.5%, that's like nothing. That's like a, a beer or wine that's diluted 10 times. So it's like nothing, right? right. So I take a sip and it tastes like champagne. <laughs> Yeah, you had me get a whiff of it, and I was like, oh, no, no. (laughs) There's no way it was half a percent alcohol. (laughs) So I took it up to the studio, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to drink it anyway. (laughs) And I did. And I had a great afternoon. for that. Jeez. (laughs) Well, one time I bought a kombucha drink, and they did actually card me because it was something like it said it was like 1.5% alcohol. Holy And the the, the, the kid that was working at the co-op where I bought it, it was like one of those earthy, crunchy co-op stores. Yeah, yeah. The kid that was working there is like, I'm so sorry. This is so stupid that we have to card people for this (laughs) drink, but we do. I'm like, all right, well, you know. People think some people think I'm young. I'm 32, about to turn 33 pretty soon, and uh, I routinely get mistaken for being half my age. Literally, people think half. I'm 16 or 17. Yeah. yeah, that's I've heard people accuse you of that. And <laughs> recently. even even Microsoft thinks I'm 16 or 17. Oh yeah, I, use their I got software. one of those apps where you take a picture of your face and it analyzes your wrinkles or whatever, and it tells you how old you are. And it said you're like one of the pictures was like 24, another picture was like 16. I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. I don't even like wash my face. I don't put any cream on my face. I don't well, do anything. You absolutely are a beautiful goddess, no doubt about Thank it. You. Uh, admittedly, though. You know, Microsoft really just created that fun app. Well, it said you were like 66, so (laughs) that wasn't cool. No, right. Well, I mean, the point of that, though, was to create a... or, you know, was to, was, to, was to create a facial recognition database? Yes, exactly. It was to create an algorithm oh. for their, uh, you know, Windows Hello uh, login software, which uses facial recognition. But anyway, 
Please continue. Well, so you were getting all liquored up. Helped. On, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I you're was getting doing all liquored up on St. Patty's Day. Drunk voiceovers in the studio, <laughs> and, and yes, it is St. Patrick's Day, and um, I've got a little Irish in me, right, Doctor Stephanie Murphy. Oh. I mean, I, I'm not really that Irish. Like, I just have the name, but I'm not super Irish. Um, no, you're Janish. Yeah, more Janish heritage than Irish. But, um, <laughs> but you know, um, I started wondering, like, what is Saint? Like, what is the big deal about St. Patrick's Day anyway? Like, a lot of people were posting these articles about racism and you know like race relations and how the irish and the blacks were kind of like at war with each other during the the days when um slavery and like the irish weren't largely in favor of abolition of slavery when they had every reason to be allies with blacks because they yeah, were both being discriminated against right the irish were really the mexicans of their day or you know right. of, of a couple hundred years ago anyway um you know how mexicans seem to be getting treated or seem to be getting treated today yeah not except mexicans don't shit on anybody else who's lower down on the totem pole than they are right <laughs> yeah but, but yeah it seemed like um there was some animosity going on there and of course there was a lot of dim- discrimination against irish immigrants and all groups of immigrants chinese and um of course black slaves that were brought here against their will and everything um but at least the irish were white so they had that going for them you right. couldn't you couldn't necessarily tell right away that someone was irish unless they <laughs> had their name or whatever their red yeah. hair um but they might be something else i don't know so anyway um it was kind of interesting to read about that history but it had nothing to do with actual saint patrick's day and you we were talking about it brian and i was like what is this whole saint patrick's day he drove the snakes out of ireland right he was a guy yeah. He became a saint. He drove the snakes out of But why were there snakes? And were they, was it really snakes or was no. it like a metaphor for something else? Yeah, maybe a metaphor. I mean, that, that has a lot to do with paganism and all the stuff. I mean, really, that's what ended up. Right. Like snakes are the devil. It's like a cult. It's like an sure, occult thing, right? Sure. I, well, I mean, there's arguments that it's like a real thing. I mean, you got to understand that in a lot of European, it's not just folklore. I mean, if you talk to, and, and I could be wrong about this, you know, but I, I've talked to some British people. You know, St. George, you know, I mean, they really thought he fought a dragon like that wasn't bullshit, you know, to them that that, that yeah. however many thousands, you know, thousand years ago or whatever, or however long ago that he really fought a dragon. So, yeah, I mean, we can say that it's allegory, but there's, you know, not that long ago where people took this stuff very seriously. You know, about yeah, I mean, how snakes. would he get to the point where he had a whole day named after him? Well, he didn't okay. do something spectacular. No, okay. So, so I mean, him getting a day kind of named after him, sure, there's the snake story and all that, but really it comes down to the fact that he's, you know, he is uh, accredited with getting rid of paganism inside of Ireland itself, that he brought Christianity to the masses. I mean, the thing is, though, the guy is a loser. Like, I, I mean, he, he really is. He So, this is son of, uh, you know, effectively a, a monk. Um, and his actual name was Patricius, not not Patrick. Oh. That it just ended up going that way. But uh, you know, son of a monk. Yeah, we're we're talking like fifth century, you know, four hundred mid four hundreds, whatever. Okay. And he, well, it's funny. He gets as a young person, he gets kidnapped by Irish pirates. So that's how he ends up in Ireland, and he ends up learning their culture and all this stuff because oh, so he, he wasn't ends up really even Irish. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's why he has a Latin name. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's a total product of the church. uh, And his father, you know, had a a fair amount of uh, influence um, at a time back when, you know, 
people of that ilk. Uh, I mean, well, he was a big deal in the church anyway. So, but, but, you know, the funny thing is, is that Patrick didn't give a shit about the church when he was young and, but he gets, he gets kidnapped by these, you know, by these pirates. He ends up becoming a shepherd working for them. And then he kind of gets into, you know, he gets into Catholicism. He gets into Christianity, uh, more particularly, I guess. And, uh, then he tries to get away. And when he gets away, well, guess what? He sucks at that because again, he's a loser. Uh, and he gets, you know, kidnapped by the French. And Damn. yeah, <laughs> and he ends up back in Ireland and then he, he tries converting the Irish to Christianity. It doesn't work. And, and like he gets chased out of town, finds himself on some small island. Wait, so okay. what were they? Were they Catholic at that point or did the Catholic Church not exist yet? No, I mean, I, Ireland was was pagan, you know, largely pagan. pagan at this time. Good. I mean, as far as like what, you know, was it some Celtic thing? I mean, that that's that's all. Whole yeah, it would have been a particular it style the Druids, of paganism, you know? a Druidic. Yeah. Celtic. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. So. He gets, he goes off to some small no, that's island. That's the best and, part. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, oh, yeah. anyway, sorry. He goes <laughs> off to, get a, interesting. he goes out to a small island. Yeah. Yeah. He's off to some small islands and that's, this is where the story gets like funny. Like, okay. So how exactly he goes to a small island. Then after a little while, he ends up going to back to Ireland and then somehow his message of Christianity gets accepted. Um, I have a hard time believing it. And I am in, I, I agree with some, some scholars that, well, he, kind of forged for himself a small army and and then he, you know he brought much like christianity was brought uh during you know during this time you know middle ages you know fifth century and, and before and a little bit after you know it was brought by the sword and and i think that's exactly what he did because right. usually the argument goes yeah i chased off the snakes oh and he taught them with this beautiful allegory of the shamrock you know with the three leaves that represents the trinity and the you know the pagan irish said oh this is now amazing. Now that yeah. sounds like complete bullshit. <laughs> right. Like, like that, just that suddenly you see God within a shamrock with, you know, shamrocks that they experience forever. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm open to the idea that maybe, you know, the, the concept of the Trinity fit, fit in rather well with their paganism. Sure. But whatever. Anyway. So that, that's the deal is that this is really a guy that I think much like other, you know, like the rest of Christianity spread, it's spread by the sword. And so not really worth, you know, celebrating or anything. And in fact, I think it's ironic that while he's popular and obviously St. Patrick's Day is popular, even outside of Ireland, um, that, you know, he never, he's never been canonized as a saint. Like he's, you know, he's never gone through beautification and all this different stuff. And I think largely that's because you, you, you have to start doing some reading and digging into a person when you want to give them that great honor. And, and, <laughs> and I he think doesn't they would, want the background. Check. Well, that's right. That's the thing is I think he'd fail it pretty hard because this guy, wow. you know, this guy was, was, so he's was not actually a scum. saint. No, right. Uh, wow. So, yeah. It's all a lie. You know, I think well, Americans just love the, the leprechauns and shamrocks. Sure, I they, think they just love that, oh, that the end of the rainbow and pot of gold, right? Now, okay, yeah, I agree. But here's something that they didn't like until the 1980s. And this is, this, this drives me nuts. Okay. The, you know, what, what do you immediately associate St. Patrick's Alcohol. Day with? Right. Nobody drank during St. Patrick's Day before the 1980s. Nobody. Okay. So, so and now, now, well, that now, sure has changed in a generation because that's a very short period of time. Okay, now here, understand that's this: the thing you do on St. Right. Patrick's Day, you get so drunk you're vomiting in the streets. Right. Okay. It wouldn't be St. Patty's Day without, especially in Boston and New York. Yeah, exactly. So, so what? So, this is interesting: is that it wasn't until the 1970s that there was even a ban lifted in Ireland that you could drink on St. Patrick's Day because you couldn't. 
So, you know, nobody, even in Ireland, they weren't drinking then until the 1970s. And that, you know, to say nothing of the fact that how, how insulting is it that like, because of St. Patrick's Day, I think really the Irish have this like stigma of they just drink all the time, which they don't. Okay. I mean, right. like, really, they don't like, I mean, it is such an unfair cultural, you know, really stigma to put yeah, on people. I don't think you could survive in a place like Ireland if you were just drunk all the time. You're not going to get through a famine that no. way. Uh, so. I mean, you had to bust your ass yeah. and work. Yeah. I mean, even like the color green, the color green is a, is a modern, it was something that they, they started wearing like in the 18th century after, um, like it was like during, during an Irish rebellion because the British wore red and originally the color for, for St. Patrick's day was blue. But then they decide, oh, no, well, we'll start wearing green and you get songs about the green and all this stuff. But anyway, drinking being associated with it, there's there's no historical precedent for it. In fact, really, for it to happen in America, it was merely because of a great and I say that sardonically, it was a great advertising campaign from Budweiser. (laughs) <laughs> like, but like, but that's it. That's it. That's what created it's drinking. Literally, Budweiser. Budweiser okay. had this awesome campaign in the '80s that got America on board with. Oh, when it's St. Patrick's Day, we're going to drink our asses off, and and that's it. Like, I mean, in Ireland, in America, it just wasn't a thing over forty years ago. You know, and yeah, Budweiser, so like you said, within not, a generation, not Guinness, right? Yeah, not Guinness. Not- <laughs> I mean, Guinness, you know, kind of picked it up and ran with it, but yeah, but it, Budweiser had a great campaign, and that's that's when drinking became associated with St. Patrick's Day. I mean, St. Patrick's Day so allowed for a break from Lent, which made it very popular to you know. For, that's for, the real thing, isn't it? Because it breaks up Lent, and you have a day where you can get have meat and alcohol. Yeah, you can have. It was a feast day. I mean, that, you know, that's that's kind of what it what it originally was and, you know, could, could continue on to be. But it had nothing to do with alcohol whatsoever, had originally nothing to do with the color green, had I mean, and certainly St. Patrick's Day. You know, if, if you're I mean, if you're all right with bringing your religion by the sword, which I think most people aren't, uh, you know, he's not a nice guy either. Mm. Of course, that sword part is a little theoretical. Or a little speculative, I Well, Brian, with the history lesson, I mean, Ooh. that's a great way to start off the show. We've almost gone through our yeah, first sorry, that full took too segment. Long. No, no, that's okay. I mean, that was fascinating. So uh, we've all been lied to about St. Patty's Day. Yeah, um, like most, uh, uh, you know, holidays. You know, go ahead and drink anyway. You, yeah, I don't you know, care. If you want to, if that's <laughs> just, what you do for fun. But just, you know, you don't need a day. You don't need an excuse. If you want to do yeah. it, just do it, okay? <laughs> Please, be happy. <laughs> like every holiday, I think. You know, if you want to have a romantic night with your partner or whatever, a new, new uh, interest, or just take yourself on a date, you don't need an excuse. You don't. It doesn't have to be Valentine's Day. It doesn't right. have to be any day. Just do it, you know? So that's, that's what I take away from it. But I did have a little bit of kombucha champagne or kombucha beer today, so... There you go. There it is. Um, and Brian, we're going to have another history lesson from Brian. Like, I feel like you maybe should start another podcast, but not like you have all this free time to do that. But um, you're so you're you're our resident historian, and you're going to give a, a great history lesson in our final segment of this show about where the origins of the term blowjob come from. We actually oh, got I a, know this story. We actually got a listener question about that. So we're stay tuned, folks. That's the tease. You better, <laughs> you better stay tuned. But first of all. I wanted to start off the show with a a weird little article that I don't really have much of a conclusion for. But, you know, a lot of people say there's something wrong with the world today, right? Something is, is weird. Is that an Aerosmith song? I think it is, yeah. Uh, living on the edge? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we are living on the edge. And um, everything knows it. Everything in the earth is is sort of organizing. They know that, that Trump is in office and that <laughs> things are going on. Um so here's the article I had from uh, Popular Science. 
humpback whales are organizing in huge numbers, and no one knows why. <laughs> yes, this is by Sarah Chodosh. Hot off the presses, March 15th, 2017. Um, it flies in the face of typical humpback behavior, they say. The humpback whale's uh, scientific name... Oh, no, that's just a caption, sorry. <laughs> the world is ending and only the whales know. At least that's one explanation. Humpback whales are normally pretty solitary. Scientists used to call groups of 10 to 20 of them, quote, large. But now they're congregating in groups of 20 to 200 off the coast of South Africa. Something is definitely going on here, but so far, experts are stumped. In fact, humpback whales aren't supposed to be hanging out in that region in the first place. Humpbacks migrate up to tropical waters to breed, but they typically feed down south. They typically feed down south in the icy waters of Antarctica this time of year. Yet, scientific expeditions keep seeing these superpods, not to be confused with super packs, which are equally giant but more dangerous, says the article, which were finally com uh, compiled and published at the beginning of March in the journal PLOS One. The researchers have a few ideas about why the humpbacks are organizing, but no clear answers yet. So far, the consensus seems to be this is pretty freaking weird. That's what the scientists say. <laughs> um, so here are the ideas. Most of the whales seem to be young, begging the question of whether the western coast of South Africa is like the humpback version of the local mall for tween whales. They're looking, they're just looking for a fishy orange Julius or perhaps a krill-based Panda Express to hang out at on a Saturday afternoon. Because it's not like 200 whales, each weighing about 65,000 pounds, can just feed anywhere. Congregations of whales usually indicate parts of the ocean that are especially productive. There has to be a dense concentration of prey to support that many humpbacks. And yes, the word prey might sound strange for a species known for singing songs and being friendly to other mammals. Lest we forget, humpback whales do hunt for their food. They're not vegetarians. They eat everything from krill to plankton to small fish, regardless of whether they speak whale. They even have a specialized way of hunting where they gang up on schools of fish to try to eat them all at once. It's called bubble net feeding. The humpbacks dive up, some swirling around a group of fish and some blowing air, such that the circling whales drive their victims into a net made of bubbles. This confuses the fish, trapping them inside until one whale sounds the call and they all rush in, mouths agape, swimming upwards through the teeming mass of fish. Wow. Since they spend a lot of time alone, humpbacks can perform a similar maneuver on their own, and some humpbacks don't even know how to bubble net feed. It's not intrinsic, it's a learned behavior. Some pods know how to do it, and some don't. Dolphins have a similar hunting pattern where they squeeze groups of fish into a small area, then take turns darting through to feed. Yeah, orcas yeah. do the same thing, but I mean, do they have any other theories, or... Well, they say uh, these enormous whale congregations are clearly for feeding, at least in part, but no one is really sure why there are so many of them. It seems to be a recent phenomenon unique to the last five years or so. So that could be it could be that burgeoning whale populations are enabling these teeming masses yearning to breathe free. At one point, about 90 percent of the world's humpbacks had been hunted down, but they've been on the rise since becoming a protected species in 1996. Maybe humpbacks were always this social and there just weren't enough of them for us to notice. Or maybe they weren't doing it in areas where we could see them before. If hundreds of whales were gathering smack in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, we probably wouldn't see or hear them, even though their songs can be heard from 20 miles away. And if a whale sings in the ocean and there's no one around to hear it, it definitely still made a sound. Perhaps they're trying to tell us something. 
Like the dolphins who do a double backward somersault through a hoop while whistling the star-spangled banner, the whales may be sending us a message that we're misinterpreting as an adorably sophisticated trick. The oceans are warming, the seas are rising, and maybe, just maybe, the whales have had enough. They've gathered as many young humpbacks as possible to come together and send one final message. So long, thanks for all the krill. Or maybe they're talking to a giant space probe. Who knows? So really, they have no clue. <laughs> Could that be what they're responding to? V'ger? So... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it could. <laughs> so Star Trek four is a very famous movie for being a save the whales film. Mm-hmm. And it's all about humpbacks and that there's this probe that shows up in the 23rd century that, you know, is trying to like it. it's trying to talk to the humpback whales, but they're extinct in the 23rd century. <laughs> and so Captain Kirk has to go back and save the whales and bring them into the 23rd century, you know, go back in time, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, and brings them in. So yeah, that's, and, and the so long and thanks for all the krill. Of course, that's a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy joke, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. It was kind of a cute article, but it was saying basically they have no fucking clue what these whales are doing. And it's kind yeah, of weird. Yeah. I mean, I saw this article and, and, you know, I instantly shared it and just thought it's like, well, you know, they're they're singing to each other saying, you know, if you can't stop Trump, we will. And <laughs> what are they going to do about it? Uh, yeah, he, right. doesn't, what, he doesn't rule over do? them in the ocean. Anyway, I mean, well, so speaking of what are you going to do about it? Um, there's a German town or there's a city in Germany that has cannabis plants springing up all over it. I thought this was just a funny little quick blurb to read. Cannabis plants springing up all over Germantown after campaigners plant thousands of seeds in protest against the demonization of the drug. Cannabis plants are sprouting all over a German town after pro-marijuana supporters planted tens of thousands of seeds last month. Supporters of the group called A Few Autonomous Flower Children spread several kilograms of seeds around the university town Göttingen last month. (laughs) They say they're protesting the, quote, demonization and Germany's restrictive drug laws. And then they show these pictures of just trees of, of cannabis just sprouting everywhere in this town. And they say they're they're growing in like the window boxes in the police station and schools and like all over this college campus. And there's people posting pictures that they're just springing up through grass and in the sidewalk and just anywhere. So somebody just took a big, big ball. You know, the, they do this. They put they ball up the seeds with dirt or something yeah, and yeah. they just throw them out a car window and it's like a drive-by planting and then they just start growing and i mean it's a weed it's called weed for a reason and it just grows anywhere i i think think that's a great way to protest those drug laws yeah that's brilliant because i mean it's just showing the the futility of the laws it's like look this can be try to stop this plant from growing right (laughs) idiots (laughs) yeah exactly Local Marcus Baum said the cannabis plants are everywhere. They removed the ones from the police station very quickly, but the plants are sprouting in parks and gardens everywhere. Some are even growing in window boxes. (laughs) I like that idea. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, you know, it's easy, simple, and and just, I don't know, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. What else are you going to do with all those seeds, right? This is Sex and Science Hour. There's more coming up. Stay tuned. Hey guys, we do a podcast. It's called Sex and Science Hour. That's what you're listening to now. But did you know we also do other podcasts? 
Namely, Brian does a podcast called Sovereign Tech, and he does it every week. It's about science and technology and how it can set you free. Yeah, getting a little ethics, keeping you on the bleeding edge of everything that's going on, breaking it down. Uh, last week, we talked about Vault 7. and how... I was just going to say, last if you want to know what's going on with Vault 7, listen to Brian's episode about it. It's available for free on SovereignTech.com. Yeah, and I called bullshit on so much of it because uh, I think there was a lot of fear mongering going on. What was one it. bullshit thing about Vault 7? Uh Signal's not broken. Not at all. All right. SovereignTech.com to hear the rest. This is Sex and Science Hour. We return to our regularly scheduled programming here. (laughs) We're now in our science segment, and I have a science article and what may be kind of a pseudoscience article or psychology article. Oh, I love pseudoscience. Yeah, pseudoscience is is pretty grand. It's kind of fun. Yeah. So, yeah, we're not afraid of doing pseudoscience stuff on this show, too, sometimes. But, um... I think Remember we'll start- that time we talked about sex magic? Oh, man. That was really fun. Was so good. Sex magic 101. That was All our right. episode. But um, anyway, um, you know, people have dreams. Some people have dreams every night that they remember. I think everybody dreams every night, but not everybody remembers it. So that's the key. But a lot of people have dreams that, that, that are memorable uh, on a regular basis. And sometimes people write about their dreams, they'll journal about them, or they'll talk to maybe their partner when they wake up, hey, I had this really weird dream last night, or they'll, you know, post about it on social media or whatever. Um, And they're like trying to find meaning in their dream, like what did this jumbled mess of stuff, symbols and thoughts and sounds and visions mean? It's like a trip, like every night. (laughs) And sometimes (laughs) you want to wake up and you can't and you're paralyzed and that's scary. Um, but people are looking. People are always looking for meaning in their dreams, right? Well, a Have lot you had of people that experience? do. Yeah, I think a lot of people do. I, I don't actually. I don't want to remember my dreams because when I wake up, um, I've actually been studying dreams quite a bit uh, recently. But and that that has to do with sovereign tech. But anyway, um, like historically, for me personally, like I, if I remember my dreams, I feel like I haven't slept. Uh, it it drives me insane. You, you know, and, and so like I wake up tired if I remember my dreams. So you feel tired. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I feel like I didn't sleep, you know, because I mean, this is the funny thing with, are dreams. you having like nightmares? No, not at all. Not at all. It's just, this is the funny thing with dreams is that usually, I mean, unless, you know, you're getting into something like lucid dreaming, which that's a whole other conversation. Like it's amazing how much, how the weirdest things can happen in your dreams and you just accept them as reality. Most yeah, of the time. it is. It is weird. Yeah. Like, and you, you know, just go with it. Right. Every fiber of your being knows that that's not, you know, it's you know, the laws of physics. Works. That's not true. And and you just roll with it, you know. And so maybe I'm just, you know, that much more of a, well, not an effective dreamer like lay the heaven. But, you know, maybe I'm just that deep of a dreamer to where, like, I feel like I never slept because you feel like you were active and everything you were yeah. dreaming about was really you were doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I can see that. Um, so that's my take on that. So I don't really analyze my dreams. At all. Yeah. I'm not a huge analyzer either but i can definitely appreciate that when i'm preoccupied with something when i'm trying to process something especially um i do tend to dream about it and often i only really remember or think about my dreams just after waking up and i don't mm. usually bother to try to remember them or write them down or anything yeah um and if it's a if it's a dream that recurs that i have frequently um i don't need to write it down cuz i'll remember it sure um, sure but i haven't had one of those in a while but but yeah i i feel like I think it can be helpful to maybe interpret dreams a little bit. Like, for example, if you're worried about something 
And we're going to get into this article, too. This is what it's about. If you're worried about something or if you're processing a situation that you felt uncomfortable with, but you didn't know why or something like that, or if you're processing like the, like a death or like a loss or something, um, analyzing your dreams can be helpful because it validates what you're going through. It validates mm. that you are processing that and it can give you clarity. It can give you insights into what is really bothering you, which we have trouble admitting sometimes in our conscious life. Sure. You know? Um, so when you're dreaming, when you're sleeping, you're like a little bit less inhibited. And sometimes those losing those inhibitions can give you insights into your unconscious mind that you wouldn't get when you're waking. So, um, yeah. so I think there can be some value in, in looking at your dreams and not just throwing them away as soon as you wake up and getting on with your day. Um, but we've got an article here that is about the most common symbols in dreams, and uh -huh. what they mean. So, um, what I, they quote unquote mean. What they quote unquote mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, Carl Jung talked about this, right? With the archetypes, um, like archetypical symbols that are mm -hmm. like common to all people and that we dream sure. about them and stuff. Um, and we make them in art and things like that. But, um, but yeah, these are like common dreams that people have and what the interpretation is according to a psychologist. And this is from, this is why I said it was kind of pseudoscience because it's from IFL science. So take it with a grain of salt. I fucking love science. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, which has big, basically become like the buzzfeed of science articles. Yeah. So, yeah. um, take it with a grain of salt. But I mean, I think there's, there's some good stuff in here. So let's read it. Many psychologists have given up trying to interpret dreams. Uh, but we talked to one who hasn't. Psychologist Ian Wallace has interpreted over 150,000 dreams during more than 30 years of practice. He helped us compile a list of nine of the most common dreams, their meanings, and what action you should take in waking life. Now, I don't know if he's keeping count of 150,000 dreams. He's probably just <laughs> multiplying, well, I see one patient a day times this many days or whatever. Yeah. But I, I feel like I've I've helped some people interpret dreams as well. You know, okay. and, and myself, well, you and I have talked about our dreams multiple times. Sure. Like, oh, it sounds like you're thinking about this or because we know each other in real life. We know what our, our life experiences are mm -hmm. and we know what each other's dreaming about. So we can help each other with that. Um, but anyway, so here's the article. Number nine, finding an unused room. What it means. The rooms in a house represent different aspects of your character. So finding an unused room suggests that you're discovering a talent you weren't aware of before. What you should do. The more time you spend exploring your dormant talents, the more likely that you will find other doors opening for you in your waking life, says Wallace. So they're all short like this. Now, I don't think I've ever dreamed about finding a... Actually, no, I have. I've dreamed about finding secret rooms. Okay. I never thought of it as like an unused or empty room. They have like a picture of a room with like nothing in it. But yeah, I dream a lot about finding secret passageways and like hidden rooms inside of a house that I know. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I always I always learned too that when you dream about a house, the house always represents your mind. Because like there's different rooms and there's different aspects of yourself okay. and your personality and there's kind of like, you know, there's a kitchen and the the attic and whatever the basement that's like your subconscious or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um so like dreaming about a house can be representative of your mind. And um yeah, finding different rooms that you didn't know were there before is like finding parts of yourself. So that makes total sense to me. Do you ever dream about um, unused rooms or mm, about a house or exploring a house? Not that I can really recall, but again, like I'm, I'm definitely playing the role of the skeptic here because, like, I I don't I don't put as much uh, stock, you know, in in 
in like symbols and dreams. Yeah. I mean, I suppose if you really were discovering that you have different like new talents or whatever that you previously didn't know about or different aspects of your personality, you would know it in your conscious life. So what's the value in like dreaming about it except to confirm that, right? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I, I want to hear these symbols, okay. you know, and, and, and what breaks them down. But I mean, I do just want to say like kind of out of the gate, like this is, a, I get it, he, you know, wh- however many he's tracking, whatever. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of ugly science because you can't, it's not really science. No, it's, right. It's like artistic interpretation, yeah. right? It's psycho- a little bit of psychology thrown in there. Well, even, But I it mean, is interesting to see that there are common things that lots of people dream about. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's, to me, it's interesting because these are common experiences for lots of different people dreaming about these things. Right. But I mean, you're taking their word for it, like, because there's no way to know you know, like what they actually say dreamed about or something like this, yeah, you know, I, I guess not. It's based on self-reporting. Sure. Yeah. Your so, dreams are kind of personal. So anyway, but, I, but I'm intrigued. P- uh, please continue. Okay. Number eight, out of control vehicle. I have definitely dreamed about mm. that. <laughs> Driving a car or riding in a car that's out of going out of control. What it means, the car represents your ability to make consistent progress toward a specific objective. In waking life, you may, f- you may feel like you don't have enough control over your road to success what you should do. Instead of trying to over-control the situation, Wallace says, relax your grip and allow your fundamental instincts and drives to steer the best path for you. Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) Now, yeah, I I have a slightly different interpretation. Yeah, like, obviously, when you're riding in a vehicle or something or driving and you lose control, you're, you're dreaming about losing control over some aspect of your life. Right. So he says, just embrace that and just let go. And it but it's if you're so stressed out about controlling things that you're having these dreams, it's really hard yeah. to just let go control and sometimes you shouldn't let go control right yeah. like sometimes you're the only one who's in control and you have to try to keep it yeah just be careful that's what jack did with tyler durden you know <laughs> yeah. just let go and right oh. i mean yeah there's something to be said for do you want tyler to take it, over like you do have to govern your behavior in some ways right yeah <laughs> like you know you, you shouldn't be too uptight about everything i suppose you can go too hard in that direction but um, you know, you do have to sort of you're you're in you're driving your the car of your life, so somebody has to be at the wheel. <laughs> you can't just be asleep. So anyway, um, here's another one: falling. What does it mean? Feeling yourself falling in a dream indicates that you're hanging on too tightly to a particular situation in waking life. And if you, you hit the ground, you die <laughs> in real life. That's the thing. You're I was be always falling told. out of your bed. I was always told that that if. Ever since I was a kid, like that, if you, if, if that you're sounds like that a nineties urban myth, of course to me. it is. <laughs> Why do you think I'm skeptical? Of all yeah. This shit? Yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> because, because that's, I mean, I mean, people and everybody would tell you, at least in, in New York, you know, like they would tell you that. Yeah. That, I oh, think yeah, I remember hearing that. If you hit the ground school. when you, yeah. I mean, there might even be, been like after school specials or something where they talked about it. Oh you yeah. You know, that if you hit the ground when, if you're falling, that you'll actually die in real life. Holy they also shit. said, if you anyway. look in the mirror and say bloody Mary three times or Candyman, something like that. Candyman, oh, no. I won't finish it. Oh, don't. Oh, no, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Glad you're here with me. Yeah. Keep me safe, Brian. You got it. Um, so falling, he says, feel, if, when you're falling in a dream, that means you're hanging on too tight to a particular situation in your life and you need to relax and let go of it. But that's kind of that sounds kind of similar to the car thing for me. Uh-huh. I mean, falling also seems like, yeah, an out of control kind of feeling. Sure. Um. 
So what you should do, rather than being so concerned about losing control, sometimes you just have to trust yourself and others by allowing everything to fall naturally into place. <laughs> Let the cards fall where they may. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like, I just think when you have these loss of control dreams, it doesn't mean that you necessarily just need to relax and let go. It means you you are feeling a sense of, of losing control, but letting go and relaxing is not always the solution, I don't think. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree. Know. Now, this kind of, I don't know if this article has it. I mean, do they talk about flying? Yeah, they do. Oh, uh, that's actually right, the next right. one. Oh, let's let the gay. Flying, number six. What it lead. means. <laughs> Being able to fly suggests that you have released yourself from circumstances that have been weighing you down in waking life. What you should do. Although you may regard this as a feeling of liberation as or just luck or coincidence, it is usually because you have managed to make a weighty decision or have risen above the limitations of a heavy responsibility, says Wallace. So if you're dreaming about flying, that's like you giving yourself a pat on the back for, for freeing yourself from a bad situation. All right. Now, these are one of two dreams that I like am happy to wake up not feeling very rested about. Yeah. And, and it, again, it's another oh, it's case. It's so much fun to dream about flying. Yeah, a it? lot of people talk about that, I know. And yeah. I know you've had them. Oh, um, I've had them. I, I was trying to remember the last time I dreamed about flying. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're, my flying dreams tend to be one of two things. One is I'm on a sidewalk or a street and I'm I'm running. And then I jump while I'm running. Right. And I, li- I get some air. And then I run a little more and I jump and this kind of time I can jump a little higher. I get some more air. Yeah. And then I just keep jumping higher and higher until I just take off and then I can fly. And yeah. that's cool. And then I fly around for a while. Um, and, and then the other kind of uh, flying dream is I dream that usually I'm laying down on a bed in the dream and then I can basically just levitate towards the ceiling. Mm. Not really fly around, but like just levitate, just float up. You witch. Craft. <laughs> I, that does sound kind of witchy. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, but yeah, those are really fun kind of dreams, and it feels really real when you're doing it. Yeah, yeah in the it, dream. Yeah, again, it's one of those times where like you just accept that. Okay, no, this is just something that I can do, and it's weird too. Like especially, I mean, now you know, ever since like satellite imagery was available on the internet, I kind of get it that maybe you could fill in some blanks. But like, I'll admit, some I find it odd that I know some of the dreams I had when I was younger. And again, you know, I was born in '81, so I had a good amount of life without the internet being uh, a consumer available. Um, like that, I, I think I got, I think I got it pretty good. Like, I mean, like, you know, what I was seeing when I do these big leaps or flying around or everything, you know, was, was kind of accurate. And, mm-hmm. and that's, it's incredible that, that the mind can fill that in, uh, cause I'm not saying, you know, there's anything woo woo going on there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those feel, you know, next to like the sex dreams or the group sex dreams or something like that, the flying dreams are phenomenal. They feel so good and you feel it. That's what's. That really you is know, so weird that you, I mean, like your gut, the whole thing. Yeah, you, you know? feel like you're on a roller coaster or something. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, it's really, it's really cool. Something to that, but anyway. Unfortunately, sex dreams are not in here because there's probably so many different types of sex dreams. What? They're the only ones worth. Oh, all right, whatever. <laughs> sex dreams are can be really fun. I mean, I will say that most of the time when I have sex dreams, it's about people that I would not want to have sex with in real life. Really? Oh, yeah. mine's the opposite. Ooh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry. Why are you sorry? No, you can't that, help it. Well, that you're, I know. I just feel bad that you know, you're know you having sex dreams about people you well, don't no, want to like stoop. The, the dream is great. 
Oh, and the dream is better than I think it would be in real life. Yeah, or well, I can't, I can't get with that person in real life for whatever reason. Sure. They're, they're far away, or I wouldn't want to, or it'd be too complicated, or something, you know. And I have you. I don't, you know, hey. I don't want anybody else. So, hey. <laughs> um, but anyway. Yeah, I think sex dreams are complicated, but often for me, I think they mean that I'm developing intimacy with somebody or somebody that that person represents. It's like that person is, it's not who their face is in the dream. It's like they represent someone else that I'm developing Uh, intimacy with. Okay, okay. Or even a part of myself. So, yeah. Um, Anyway, number five, unprepared for an exam. What it means, exams are how we judge our ability to perform. So this indicates that you are critically examining your own performance in waking life. What you should do, rather than immersing yourself in endless self-examination, the real test of your character is being able to accept your talents by celebrating your knowledge and achievements instead of constantly judging them. Well, that's good advice. Don't judge yourself too harshly. I mean, that's good. Sure. Um, have you have you had those dreams? I don't tend to dream that I like didn't study for a test because um, that was never really an experience that I had. Like I'd never really I don't know. Um, I never really felt stressed about how I was going to do on tests because I always did well on tests. But the thing that I would dream about was like I it's it's now it's the present day. Mm-hmm. And I my college contacts me and they're like, you didn't take this one class. So there, you, you actually, you didn't turn in this one homework assignment in your, this one class. Right. So therefore, you didn't finish your degree and you don't really have your degree that you thought you had. And then, the, and then I'm like, I have to scramble to try to sort it out and go back to college maybe. And I have to, and then like, you know, it's completely different at this point. So I'm like having to scramble. Um, I've actually had a lot of dreams lately about being back in college or being in the town that I went to college in. So I don't know what that means. Like maybe I'm trying to reprocess that time of my life or maybe, um, you know, I'm learning things and I'm just like dreaming about Hmm. learning a lot of stuff and I'm integrating the stuff that I've learned. I'm not really sure. Sure. Are there, how many more are there? Four. Uh, Four? Okay. Naked in public. Here you go, Brian. This is interesting to you. Um, you know, but I never get this one. Not I've never had this one either, yeah, I don't think. Unless yeah. it was like sex related. I'm not really that embarrassed of being naked, I yeah, guess. I don't know. Same it's here. not like a, my biggest fear or something. Yeah, I don't care. I, I mean, I wish I could, frankly, <laughs> walk around naked all the time. What it means, we choose our clothes to pre- present a particular image to the people around us. Being naked in public suggests that there's a situation in waking life that's making you feel vulnerable and exposed. What you should do... Although it might be potentially embarrassing, sometimes you just have to open up to others so they can see your real talents. Sure. Yeah, so being naked in public, that's like about feeling vulnerable. And that makes sense. Yeah, you know, okay. Like you're under a microscope or you're you're exposed. Glad I'm not the only one that's never had one of those. <laughs> yeah, no, I guess we're I guess we're kind of the same. Yeah. Like we're not I I think you and I both are not really that afraid of being open or vulnerable. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Unable to find a toilet. Toilets are what we use to clean, cleanly respond to some of our most fundamental needs. So there's an issue in waking life where you're finding it a challenge to clearly express your own needs. What you should do, spend more time looking after your own needs instead of the needs of others. See, I feel like that's a thing I experience a lot. Like I'm kind of, I've struggled with people pleasing. I've been working on it a lot for years. Um, but that's something I struggle with is focusing on other people's needs instead of my own. But yet I've never had a dream about not being able to find a bathroom. 
Yeah, I've never had one of those either. Yeah. At least I not that it, I can remember. See, I mean, that's the thing too, right? Is how many of these do you actually remember? Yeah, you maybe know? we have and we just don't remember it. Yeah. But I feel like I would remember because I remember some percentage of my dreams. So anyway, um, I mean, I've definitely in the middle of the night had to pee and been dreaming and like had trouble waking up, right? <laughs> <laughs> but that's different than dreaming about not being able to find a bathroom. Sure. Uh, we have some friends that are podcasters and they are like obsessed with these dreams. They have them all the time and they can't, they call them pee anxiety dreams. It's like they have to pee and they can't find a bathroom and they talk about it all the time. My eyes are So rolling. maybe we should send them this article. Yeah. There's like, there's like four or five guys that are just like all talk about <laughs> oh, this on a podcast. Christ. And they all have the same dreams. Okay, here's number two. Teeth falling out. I've had this one. I've had dreams about weird teeth stuff. Mm. Teeth falling Mm, out. I haven't had that one myself. What it means. Oh, you're lucky. Your teeth symbolize how confident and powerful you feel. So some situation is causing your confidence to crumble in waking life. What you should do... Rather than seeing this situation as something that will leave you powerless, just try calmly thinking over the facts and relish it as a challenge. So that's interesting because I had also always learned about dream analysis that teeth represent health. Mm. And so if you dream that your teeth are falling out, that's about your health. And what they're saying here is um, the teeth symbolize your confidence. So, I mean, I definitely think I've had that experience where I was not feeling confident about my health. And then I had a dream about my teeth falling out. Sure. Or like that my teeth are loose and shaky. So I guess that's a metaphor, too. If it's shaky, your confidence is shaken. Nah. Right? So you've never had a dream like that? No, never had a dream like that. Mm. So is that all of them? No, we got one last okay. one. I was going to say, like, all of our teeth fall out when we're kids. So yeah. everybody has that experience of what it's like yeah, to have a loose tooth like. or sure. something. All right. Number one is, what do you think it is, Brian? You want to guess? Uh, wet dreams. No, wait, we already said there's not sex. <laughs> no, there's Shit. no sex, sexual dreams. All right, well, I, I missed my guess. Being chased. Yep, okay, these I've had. Yep. I can't remember one of one of these I've had. Um, I can remember one pretty vividly. Mm. It was my sister. My, my Your older, sister was chasing you. My older sister, and like her, her face turned into like this like rabbit that was like, like, you know, Oh my god, that's really big, fucking scary. Yeah, it had big jaws oh. and like chunk chunk chunk, you know, and like he started chasing after ooh, me. me my sister was a big gal uh at varying points in her life. And ooh, yeah, that I woke up from that one, you know, kind of screaming. That was that was but I was little. <laughs> I was I was a little guy. Wow. That, yeah, I, I remember that pretty much. That's vividly. like Donnie Darko shit. Yeah, long before there was a Donnie yeah. Darko. Sounds like a superhero or something. <laughs> Being chased, what it means. There's an issue in your waking life that you want to confront, but you don't know how. Like your sister. (laughs) The issue is a great opportunity for you to pursue a particular personal ambition. Although they may seem scary, your pursuers are actually bringing your attention to unrealized talents in your own pursuit of fulfillment. That's interesting. We'll be pursuing our fulfillment in just a moment here as the Sex and Science Hour. We're coming up. Here's when I promote my audiobooks on Sex and Science Hour. If you don't know, I'm a voice actor and I have multiple audiobooks on audible.com. Audible.com gives you audiobooks and you can actually get a subscription to Audible and you can get an audiobook every month and actually more than that if you want. And if you sign up for Audible's free trial and one of the first books that you download is one of my audiobooks, then um, that will help out the show because I'll get a little bit of a spiff. So if that's something you're interested in, definitely would appreciate if you would download one of my books for your first books. And I have a recommendation for you. 
I just came out with an audiobook called The Passive Income Book by Steve Pavlina, and it talks about how do you earn passive income. That's something everybody wants to know about, and Steve is a great personal development blogger, so check it out. This is Sex and Science Hour. All right, we're in the sex segment now. Yeah. So we didn't get to the other article that I wanted to do, but that's okay. We, could, yeah. we were interpreting our dreams. We can save that for next week. Yeah, can, I just want to make one last comment on yep. the dream interpretation thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I am so, I mean, if you find some kind of personal meaning or, or with somebody that you really connect with, say, like, you know, you and I, Stephanie, you know, we're talking about it. Um, like, the whole dream interpretation business and books and a lot of this different stuff, I'm glad that's pretty much a free website about it. Uh, like, I'm so skeptical of that because it's the thing that never ends. Like, I mean, it's the best business in the world because you can just keep making Because everybody always dreams. Well, everybody always dreams, but I mean, like you, you can just read, you can just interpret the shit however you want, you know, like it's, I, well, I, get, I mean, hopefully you're, you know, people will stick with you if you're interpreting dreams in a way that's valuable to them. I mean, yeah, like I, I agree with you. Like you don't want to get too bogged down in it. Cause yeah, we're, we're going to dream every night, no matter what. But I think there can, like, you can at least use it as a springboard for a little bit of self-analysis. And for some people who have no experience with, you know, psychological stuff or self-awareness, it can be, that can be the point where they get interested in it just a little bit. Okay, so we got to move on. Yes. But we have an awesome smart dumb for you. (laughs) So let me just preface this by saying that when I was in Acapulco, I met a couple who said that they bought a sex toy, but they never used it because we had talked about it on our show. (laughs) And it was one of those ones that has an app and the app had laughable security and it was sending personal data, including the speed and temperature and stuff that you like your vibrator at Mm -hmm. and your email address back to the company who makes the vibrator and anyone else who could intercept it. And so obviously that was a privacy nightmare and <laughs> not cool, not safe. Um, also, it was activatable by Bluetooth and potentially someone could hack it and start activating your vibrator. Right. Um, so that's not cool at all. That's uh, definitely an, a by consent violating thing. So you don't want that going on. Um now, we have an update on it because we talked about it on the show um, several months ago, but there's an update. There's been a lawsuit, and this Wait, vibrator what? company has been forced to pay out. Hold on. So you mean that everything we were warning about, about what could happen, all of which you just wonderfully listed off, mm-hmm. could happen with this device, happened? Oh, yeah, it happened. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. There was actually a hacker who hacked it, famously a DEF CON or something. Oh, tell me more. Yeah. Okay, so here's the article. This is from, of all places... The Guardian. (laughs) The Guardian is now reporting on the vibrator privacy. (laughs) I think that's awesome. So anyway, um, vibrator maker ordered to pay out Canadian $4 million for tracking users' sexual activity by Alex Hearn. Canadian manufacturer WeVibe collected data about temperature and vibration intensity, revealing intimate information without customers' knowledge. Sex toy maker WeVibe has agreed to pay customers up to 10,000 Canadian dollars, or 6,000 pounds each, after shipping a smart vibrator which tracked owners' use without their knowledge. Following a class action lawsuit in an Illinois federal court, WeVibe's parent company, Standard Innovation, has been ordered to pay a total of Canadian $4 million to, to owners, with those who use the vibrator's associated app entitled to the full amount each. Those who simply bought the vibrator can claim up to $199. Uh, 
So basically wow. you get a refund if you didn't use the app. Ah, okay. The WeVibe 4 Plus is a 90-pound Bluetooth-connected vibrator, which is probably about 90 pounds. Well, yeah, it could be approaching about $200. Sure. Um, it, probably like 150 approximately, which can be controlled through an app. It is marketed as a way to, quote, allow couples to keep their flame ignited together or apart. <laughs> it's app-controlled its app-enabled controls can be activated remotely, allowing, for instance, a partner on the other end of a video call to interact. But the app came with a number of security and privacy vulnerabilities, oh, no. which added up to produce something that many would feel uncomfortable about using. The app that controls the vibrator is barely secured, allowing anyone within Bluetooth range to seize control of the device. <laughs> In addition, data... It's not funny. I mean, I, I shouldn't laugh so no, hard No, but because... just thinking of the possibilities is funny. It's like, yeah. oh my God, yeah. yeah that's, but I mean, that's, really, it's that's... funny how bad it is. Like, like, how could they let this get out without, like, noticing that it was so bad? Yeah, I mean, and let's be clear, like, hacking th this, you know, if it was inside a woman, I mean, that's tantamount to rape. I mean, you know, I think in a very real sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they say this in the um, in the article just in a minute here. Um in addition, data is collected and sent back to Standard Innovation, letting the company know about the temperature of the device and the vibration intensity, which combined reveal intimate information about the user's sexual habits. Yeah, I mean, how about tailoring those ads? Jeez. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> the flaws with the WeVibe sex toy were first revealed at the DEF CON hacking conference in Las Vegas in 2016 by New Zealand-based hackers Goldfisk and Follower. Speaking there, the pair argued that the problem, quote, was a serious issue. Unwanted activation of the vibrator is potentially sexual assault, Follower said. In practice, given the $4 million total settlement and the requirement to pay various legal fees first, most WeVibe owners are likely to receive somewhat less than the full $10,000 they are entitled to. In a statement given to the press, Standard Innovation said, quote, at Standard Innovation, we take customer privacy and data security seriously. We have enhanced our privacy <laughs> notice. We've enhanced. We've updated our privacy policy. Oh, oh enhanced doesn't that it. make you feel better? We've enhanced our privacy notice, increased app security, provided customers with more choice in the data they share, and we continue to work with leading privacy and security experts to enhance the app. With this settlement, Standard Innovation can continue to focus on making new innovative products for our customers. Wow. And that's it. You know. So they're not stopping. They're going to keep going on this. This is, you know, I bring this point up a lot. We bring it up on this show. I bring it up on Sovereign Tech often as well. I mean, this is the thing is that the technologies that a lot of these, you know, fun little apps and, and devices are taking advantage of to really secure them. I mean, you need almost a company with you. You need, you need a, a company serious within security your company. team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is not a job for one person. This is not a job for like two people. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, this is this. All, every app, like how many of your apps on your phone update every week? They're finding secure. They're updating because they're finding right. bugs and security flaws in those apps, and they're patching them up. Right. I mean, a lot of startups now. You know, they're like thirteen to twenty person teams, and usually half of that is security, and it's got to be. Okay. I, I mean, you, you have to take it that seriously. Um, yeah. And then they have like one person who does all the marketing and fundraising and social media right. and copywriting and right. packaging and uh, graphics. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing is that you're paying, you know, what you're paying for with these devices. I mean, like 
the, the, the cost of a lot of these Internet of Things, which this would qualify as, the cost of a lot of these Internet of Things devices does not match up to the company selling them in any way possibly having the proper security team in place, uh, cybersecurity team, you know, to handle all of this stuff. It's just like it's mathematically impossible for them to do it, you know, and, and that's why, yeah, I mean, the instant you hear about it, no, you don't want anything to do with it because you just know it doesn't matter what it is, what the implementation is, whatever. You just know that these companies, unless, and, and I, and I hate this cause I don't like these companies, but unless you're buying from Google, Microsoft, Amazon, and they still have problems or Apple yeah, or whatever. Was they, say, the biggest companies in the world have security issues. What, yeah, exactly. What possibly could these companies do? You know, like to even remotely address these concerns. They can't. Yep. It's just not possible. So just don't buy into it. Yeah. I know. And I wouldn't necessarily, I don't think I would necessarily think of that if I was just in the market for your average person in the market for a vibrator, right? Sure. Right. Or anything. I mean, it could be a TV and you don't think about the fact, oh, this TV has all these features. Wait a second. As soon as it says it connects to the internet, I mean, you better, you know, put the brakes on and say, hey, can this company actually secure this shit? You know, I, I mean, if you're buying a Samsung, maybe, but then, you know, you hear Vault 7 and you go, oh, maybe not. Right. But yeah, it, it's, wow. I mean, it's so vindicating <laughs> to like, because we've talked about 10, this. $10,000 is enough compensation for somebody having their their personal vibrator habits exposed <laughs> to like everybody? Uh, I would say no. I mean, like I, that is that is the ultimate personal, kind. I mean, because that, what that, you know, that data gives advertising companies which is who they can sell that shit off to yeah gives advertising companies like such i wonder such if they can still sell it after they settled the lawsuit can they still sell the data that they collected maybe it depends on the lawsuit there's lawsuits yeah. where they say you can't right uh, like that it, happened recently with the, Vizio. Yeah, yeah yeah um but the thing is, is that this data is really primal data Meaning that, like, you know, it touches on, for lack of a better phrase, primal aspects of who you are. Okay. And so, you know, sex sells. And if you have data about what a person is into sexually, I mean, you want to talk about targeted advertising, which I think is a, is a huge talk about security risk. Well, uh, I mean, there's da like lots of people watch Pornhub and they analyze the shit out of the search data for that. Sure, of course. But I mean, you, you can kind of anonymize that, I suppose. I mean, I, I guess if you're conscious of it, but not most conscious. people don't. No. They don't give a shit. They just right. go on with no VPN or anything. Right. But I, I, yeah, that's how they know that there's the biggest search terms for gay sex in like Alabama no. and stuff, you know, like yeah, Saudi of Arabia. Of course. But I mean, you know, no, this isn't like, you know, how long does a person usually go? Well, I guess you can find that out with Pornhub, too. Whatever. Just this is really like this is very. Uh, special data, I think, that the advertisers can Well, and collect. also, you already bought the product, right? Pornhub is like a free thing that you go to the watch yeah. little porn clips. And you're ki it's kind of understood that when you use a free service, you are paying for it by giving them data about yourself so that they can target ads to you and that sure. they can use it in any way they see fit. Um, and then maybe they'll upsell you, but that's that's not a guarantee. But with the vibrator, you already bought the product. Yeah. You shouldn't have to be paying for it in, with your data. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is, I mean, you know, this is another huge subject, just that, you know, what is the actual cost of things? Because how much, like if it, if something is at a really oh, yeah. low price. You, you always say like, don't buy a $200 computer because no it's being thing. subsidized with $400 worth of spyware on there. Exactly. There's only $600 computers. There's no such thing as a $200 computer. It, it literally is being subsidized by ad tech or what is effectively malware, um, you know, at the end of the day, much like what happened with the Wii Vibe. Absolutely. All right, Brian, we got a really fun question to end off the show. Okay. Amanda writes in, 
Why is it called a blowjob when you actually suck? That could be like a haiku, don't you think? That's like a very pithy question. Well, Amanda, you're in for a treat because I didn't know about this. I I had to, I was like all ready to do some research and look it up because I didn't know the answer to it. Mm -hmm. But Brian had the answer ready made and he's already done hours of research on it. You think he's like Alex Jones watching documentaries about it and doing all this conspiracy (laughs) research? You got to do your research. Wake up, people. Wake up, sheeple. (laughs) So, Brian, why is it called a blowjob? Well, okay. So, I mean, first off, I'm sure the question's being kind of funny, you know, but. Yeah, right. I mean, I guess you could say it's a rhetorical question. Well, she actually did say, why is it called a blowjob when you actually suck? So I hope she wasn't saying like sex and science hours sucks. No, right. Yeah, I'm sure not. (laughs) I mean, she means like you as the person who's giving a (laughs) blowjob. Yeah. So, okay. So. This this is I mean, whether whether it's rhetorical or whatever, like it's I in my opinion, it's such a fascinating subject um, that, you know, it's worth diving into anyway. And mm. it really start. I mean, I'll start it off with this and then we're going to go back a few thousand years. And I mean, oh, that. goody, I love okay. it when that happens. <laughs> Tell us the story, but, Brian. Well, let's start off with a few hundred years back. First off. Well, we can start off right now. First off, the word blow. You're thinking of the word blow wrong. Okay. Yeah, because th- when people say, "Okay, what does blow mean?" Well, it means blow like the wind. It means. Yeah, that's what people think, and because yep. they, they're thinking like the you question blow around, on a hot piece of food, or you blow out a candle, or something. Right. Yeah, and so that's the antithesis or the opposite of sucking, right. which is what you're doing. Yep. Okay. The thing is, is that the term "blow" can also mean explosion. Like yes. you were blown away. I'm about to blow. Right, right. Exactly. This place about to blow. Yeah, and that's what it means with blowjob. Not that you're, you know, blowing on yeah. it like the wind. It means that there's an explosion. Like okay? an orgasm. Right. And and this is, this the, using the word blow in that sense has been around for hundreds of years, since the Renaissance is really, you know, when it, when it kind of first started off. Okay. Which is important that it started off during the Renaissance. You know, we're talking 16th, 17th Wait, so you're saying the there. term blowjob started during the Renaissance? The term blow did for orgasm. Blow, okay. Like, that's the way it was described. To describe an orgasm, it was blow. I mean, because, like, you look at the word fellatio, the fellatio means, you know, to suck. So, right. like, fellatio is perfectly accurate as far as what's being done. Okay, so then why use the word blow? And again, it's not because they were stupid. It's because it meant the other version of blow. It meant, like, you're going to blow. You know, yeah. You know, like a volcano. Yeah, I get it. I yeah. get the visual. Okay. Right now, why do they say come? Well, we'll have to address that next. I'm curious well, about that. Well, I don't exactly have an answer for that. One. Okay. So, but anyway, um, so with with the blowjob. Now, here's where things get interesting. Is that you know where did that whole idea really, really come from? And there is a time in history. Now, I I know there's some French archaeologist or something. The guy that was big on Lucy. Uh, oh, the Australopith, Austral right something seen woman. Yeah, yep. yeah, Lucy, the you know one of our progenitors. Yes, like he he talks. Hominid. Yes, uh, and I remember him saying something like, "There's like this degree of paleofellatio that Lucy probably did." So I mean, <laughs> so what? Point How did being, he know that from looking at the skeleton? Well, whatever. Does I it mean, affect your bone structure? Yeah. <laughs> Point wow. being is that that blowjobs have been around for a very long time, theoretically. Oh, since uh, the beginning of time. Yeah. Then. Now, I mean, there's been cultures, in fact, cultures that you wouldn't expect that don't that don't appreciate blowjobs, like Rome. You know, ancient Rome thought blowjobs were, you know, ixnay. You don't do those, uh, which is odd, admittedly, because they didn't seem to have a problem with literally fucking goats. But 
Well, yeah, whatever. Right? <laughs> well, no, you can't do blow- goats are fine. Yeah, blowjobs. No, no, but that's you're not like, putting a mouth on that baby. <laughs> that's dirty. Yeah, right. So, but anyway, but the first blowjob like that we haven't recorded history actually goes I guess back. If someone has their dick in a goat, you wouldn't want to put your mouth on it. Well, that's true. <laughs> anyway, yes, sorry. maybe they're just being healthy. Sorry, <laughs> so go on. Yeah. So, all right. So the first blowjob is actually from, is from ancient Egypt. Like the first one recorded. Okay. And this is. In mythology. Yeah. And it's, it's right in the hieroglyphs. Okay. And it comes from the story of Isis and Osiris. Now, Isis and Osiris. Stinky hieroglyphs. Woo. uh, (laughs) There's plenty of them. Um, Isis and Osiris were, well, first off, they were brother and sister. But that's another conversation. Okay. But you think that's a mistranslation. I, yeah, like, I they, think they it's, were a, just, it's a misunderstanding. They were similar to each other, but different from the Egyptians. So they described them as siblings, but yeah. they may not have literally been siblings. Right. Yeah. I think that the Egyptians didn't know better and they described them and they, they used the literal terms for brother and sister, but they were really using, or, you know, like that term really just meant that they were of a similar ilk or yeah. a race or something along those lines. Mm, okay. Like aliens. Yeah, well, no, not like aliens, but like something else. So <laughs> <laughs> no aliens, folks. Uh, anyway, so Isis and Osiris. Um, aliens. Aliens. <laughs> where's Giorgio? Yeah. So, so Isis and Osiris. So what happens is there's this like, you know, you have a uh, uh, set the brother of, of Osiris, and then I, I guess by default, Isis, um, he is, you know, is kind of at war with his brother Osiris and ends up decimating Osiris, as in literally breaking him up into pieces, okay, which is what decimating actually means. And Isis, you know, just in, in you know, tears, you know, just, just totally broken up about this. In fact, there's a lot of legends about various seasons and things that happen based upon her, you know, her crying about it. Um, she, she ends up putting him back together. But the thing is, is that when she's putting Osiris back together, she can't find his penis. It's, it's gone. Oh, right. That's a problem. Yes. He needs a penis transplant. Right. Well, because she needs a son. She needs Horus, who, you know, is that that's a whole other you know, can of worms as well. You know, I becomes Horus, the one eye. Right. Yes. Exactly. So Very important. Yeah. So Isis makes out of clay, this uh, makes a dick for, for Osiris. <laughs> okay. But Os- and Osiris is dead until he gets this dick. Oh, and, of course, because right. it's the most... Imp- Who wrote this story, a man? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of interpretations of what it can mean. But anyway, Isis finally puts this clay dick on, on Osiris, you know, <laughs> and then she gets on her knees, Osiris is laying back, and, you know, puts her mouth on it and blows. And I mean literally blows. And she's breathing and like, life into she's him. She's breathing the breath, of, breath life of life through his cock, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a blowjob. That's the, and that's a blowjob. Now, see, here's the thing, okay, is that even though the term blow, like we said, really, you know, it's it's meant to mean something else. It's meant to mean this explosion or whatever. Um, the Renaissance was notorious for its studying of ancient Egyptian, uh, uh, you know, hieroglyphs, writings, you know, emerald tablet, all this other wild shit, right? And so I think for them to describe uh, fellatio yeah. in the way that Isis you know, actually brought Osiris back to life, baby. Woo. Uh, you know, that, that it would make sense. So I, I think, you know, it, it kind of came full circle wow. when, when it got to yeah. the Renaissance. And it's like, yeah, we're going to call this blowing because that's exactly what, you know, what, what ISIS did. Um, and again, there's a lot of interpretations of what the hell all that actually meant. Like what was, what was, 
what did this mean? What was going on? Well, what um, is, give me one of them. Give me a few. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. See, now, now you're, you're catching me kind of flat footed on that, but. Okay. never mind. Well, you don't have to, but I'm just curious. Well, there, there's some interesting things in the fact that, that ISIS who, you know, like, like she was literally giving the breath of life, yeah. like that she was actually where all the power came from. And yep. ISIS herself you know, has like her symbol is a throne. Mm-hmm. Okay. And like on top of her head, you know, how gods would have all these different things like a sun say on top of their head or some or horns or something like this. Yeah. She has a, th- a literal throne on top of her head. Now a throne is a symbol of power. Okay. Yeah. And this isn't dream analysis. Or anything. Yeah. This is, you know, straight up. And there's, there's an interesting, you know, kind of an interpretation around that, that really like it gets very matriarchal that there's the allegory within the story that women are where all the power really comes from. Yeah. And they that your give dick life. means nothing. The, okay? Yeah. The woman is even holding up your dick. It's propping up your dick. Right. Right. That You that, wouldn't even have a dick if it were not for her. Exactly. I mean, and when you get into, you know, Egyptian mythology, I mean, there's Ma'at, there's all these different things. And a lot of the real power comes from, you know, these kind of these feminine aspects. Um, and so, you know, and, and then, I mean, you could get into that, that, you know, kind of like Joseph Campbell talks about how ISIS is actually Ishtar, which is entirely possible because Ishtar goes through very similar things. In fact, um, you can, you can listen to and buy if you want. I actually did a dramatic, uh, I wrote my own music and I did a dramatic presentation. It's so cool. Of the descent of Ishtar. Yep. Yep. It's an ancient text read by Brian. Yeah. You go to audio, the ancients.xyz and, and that'll, that'll get you the hookup and you can find everything uh, from Bandcamp and whatever. Um, and it talks about this, like, and or, you know, it covers Ishtar anyway, but you kind of, you, you get the sense for a lot of the stuff and like that, you know, kind of instead of like, in, if you listen to the descent of Ishtar, uh, Ishtar's son is, uh, is Tammuz, but the symbolism of Ishtar and Tammuz is very similar, similar to the to symbolism of Isis and Horus, you know, and Horus being her son. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's fascinating stuff, you know, really to think about. But that, you know, probably the best interpretation that I kind of stick on, uh, and that's why I have a hard time thinking of the others, is just that, yeah, there, I mean, and, and there is this narrative a lot of times throughout a lot of mythology that there was a point where society was matriarchal and then, you know, somebody came in and kind of wrecked blew that, that all down <laughs> and yeah, and blew that apart. Right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I see kind of a lot of ISIS's stories, you know, being being representative of, of that. Well, I love that the term blowjob has an occult origin. Oh, yeah, it's ancient. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. To, absolutely ancient. I mean, some people don't want to say, well, it doesn't so necessarily mean so connected to that. the ancients of the dawn of time, yeah. giving each other blowjobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I certainly feel uh, far more alive uh, after one myself, yes. I, I just have to feel say. so connected <laughs> to the earth and, yeah, all that shit. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, it really is kind of a sacred thing that people have been doing for a really long time. And you feel it's almost like a religious activity, like you're honoring the traditions of the ancients. Yeah. They knew how to do that stuff. They knew how to pleasure each other. Yeah. I mean, I could, you know, I often theorize too, like, you know, like I said, it's odd that Rome thought it was so terrible, mm-hmm. but it might be because, you know, it was meant to like be kept as a sacred act, like say with like uh, the cult of Mithras. Oh, uh, you know, and, and things like that to where, OK, no, it was practiced. It's just you didn't talk about it because it was considered so holy. 
Uh, I mean, because, you know, with Rome, like Rome had a unique relationship, even more so than Greece. Rome had a very unique relationship with Egypt. Okay. Egypt was a province of Rome, Mm -hmm. but like it was considered the backyard of the emperor. Like Egypt was a big deal. Like the emperor, like it was his personal playground. Okay. You know, it, it never really lost the prominence. You know, even though Egypt itself didn't have its own autonomy, it was still considered such a holy place. Uh, by the Roman empire. So, you know, I could really, you know, I could see that, that maybe just like the act of the blowjob was just considered so holy that in Rome, you never talked about it. And, mm. and, and it's interesting that a lot of these cults, I doubt maybe people stopped doing it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of these cults, <laughs> they certainly that, didn't care about taboos too much. No, right. Right. I mean, cause they were so socially like ahead of the game. I st- I think Rome was, is more socially, was more socially advanced minus the slavery thing which is a huge issue. Yeah, that's a big problem. (laughs) It's problematic. For the the citizens. Well, I mean, you know, this is the thing is that you had two classes of people, right? Or, well, you had three, I guess, because you, you know, you had your, your Senate and emperor, and then you had citizens and then you had slaves. You know, the emperor, like people don't get this about Rome. They think, well, the Roman emperor could do whatever he wanted and kill whoever he wanted. No, he couldn't. He could do anything he wanted to any slave, any slave in the empire. Okay. But if it was a citizen, you can't just toss them to the lions. You know, you can't just do like if you're a citizen, I mean, even and and this is, you know, even the Bible backs this up if you're into the Bible at all, where, you know, suddenly they find out that the Apostle Paul is a Roman citizen. They're like, oh, shit, Jew or not, get him out of that jail. He's a Roman citizen. You can't just do that to him. So, you know, things like a constitution. Yeah, well, it was a very complex, uh, I mean, and and certainly double standard, Mm -hmm. but but a very complex uh, social structure you know, that, that, that existed at the time, but they were so far ahead in so many ways, so respectful of other cultures, you know, uh, I mean, they, they, they really were. And, you know, not to say everything was all hunky dory, um, and great, but yeah, I mean, things still kind of happened in the shadows. And, and I think it's interesting that a lot of these cults that maybe would have held onto some of these ancient, you know, beliefs, like say Egyptian stuff, uh, because I don't think, I don't think the Egyptian religion ever went away. You know, and it's not like just it morphed into Greek gods or Roman gods. Um, I think like that it's it's always kind of wormed itself. Uh, and is the Egyptian relig- religion originally a Sumerian religion? Sure, that's another conversation. But mm. uh, but I think it's always wormed itself, you know, throughout history and was has been practiced and probably somewhere still practiced today, uh, you know, in, in a very, you know, uh, very meaningful you know, way to whoever's doing it. Yeah. Um, well, for Marcus Crassus to be like the richest person in history ever. Oh, boy. That's a huge deal. I mean, because you don't get to that point just by plundering and pillaging because you run out of resources very quickly. You have to actually generate some value there. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, so, well, that that's something like, uh, yeah, Marcus Crassus, of course, who, you know, really helped create, you know, from the Roman, uh, you know, what was controlled by the Senate ended up, you know, becoming controlled by the Roman Empire, effectively. I mean, he, you know, he brought Caesar into power and all this. But this is a guy, Marcus Crassus, who, you know, Bill Gates, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, list off whoever, they are chump change compared to Marcus Crassus, you know, when adjusted for inflation for thousands of years. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Now, I mean, part of the reason he was able to make that money, of course, is, you know, is the slave trade, definitely. Uh, I mean, that's a resource that that can reproduce itself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like gold or anything. Yeah. and but yeah, you have to have such an you know after a fashion advanced society again, slavery big deal. Um, but you have to have such an advanced society to even allow somebody to build up you know to that level. Yeah. Um, and you know again, arguably he's the richest man that ever lived, like by a long That's shot. That's why I say like you can't really get to that point by brute force. 
No, like no, slaves no. are expensive to upkeep as well. Yeah, and if you treat them poorly, they can be not very cost effective. Right. No, I mean he was also a tremendous businessman. Uh, I mean, you know, and he had like his own his own armies. Effectively, he outfitted his own armies. Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, you're not just making that off the slaves. I mean, that's that's for sure. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I, it's anyway, interesting history. Oh, yeah. Um, All right, Amanda, there you go. That's yeah. why it's called a blowjob. And next week we'll work yeah, on no why idea. is it called coming when you orgasm? Because <laughs> yeah, I'm we'll curious about that. That. that didn't make sense to me. Do you ever remember that? Like, I think the term blowjob confuses like so many girls who are like trying to figure out how to have sex with boys. Like, you know, I remember just so many people telling me stories of like, they heard about a blowjob and then, you know, they had a they were dating someone in high school or whatever, is a boy and a girl. And the guy pulls down his pants and he's like, Give me a blowjob. And she takes it and she's like, <laughs> Does that feel good? <sighs> right? Not not just You've the, never heard that story. No, I've heard the, a lot of those I was, stories. I was gonna say, not just the gales. Like, I mean, that's what <laughs> I thought it was. Really? Oh my yeah, god. Like I remember the first time hearing that that, you know, in the back of the school bus. Someone got a blowjob and I'm like, okay, you know, and I'm like, and I'm envisioning this and, and, and I'm not picturing it that it's, you know, talking, it's like, she's just blowing on it. I'm like, I guess that feels good. I like, it, it, didn't, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah. I don't think I ever thought that, but I definitely was confused by the term coming. I'm like, coming where? Like, right. what do you, coming to what? Like, coming to a conclusion? Coming, like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I doubt that has the history. Like, I mean, you know, it wasn't like I was looking up, okay, how did, you know, how is, uh, where, where did the term blowjob come from? Yeah. It, it just came across in, you know, my study of, of you know, ancient societies and religions. Yeah. Like that, that's uh, how it comes up. Hey, that's how you know it's a good study. Yeah, there you go. All right. So <laughs> we're out of time for tonight, but we do have an after show coming up. So thank you so much if you're joining us for that. We'll see you then. If not, thanks for listening to Sex and Science Hour. Find us online at sexandsciencehour.com. That's our website. And look for a no sh- new show every Friday. Not a no show, hopefully. <laughs> a new no, show no every Friday night. Have a great week, everybody. Happy St. Patty's Day. Woo. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. blowjob segment that was fascinating and we had a fascinating dinner conversation about that too yeah we talked about it the whole time over some uh some thai, yeah. some thai food. let me show you my thai food. no jean-claude no, van damme would say. let him say that all right who says that john claude van, van, van damme says that. okay well let's keep it that way this is my thailand <laughs> let me show you it <laughs>
Oh my God. Yeah. Okay, so why don't we show you our stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week? What do you think about that? Absolutely. Show yourself right to the Amazon. Yeah. So do on, some purchasing. On the after show, um, we talk about what people bought through our Amazon affiliate link, which is how we support our show. And you know, we're getting close to the end of season three for Sex and Science Hour. I'm really proud of us. Um, it's about a year, it's almost a year since we first rebooted the show. Yes. And so we've done season two. Oh, which yeah, was, we started in April. That's yep, right. we started last April 2016, yep. and it's almost April 2017 now. So um, good for us. We stuck with it. Woo. I mean, I had my doubts about whether we were going to be able to keep going. But, you know, doing the show with you, Brian, makes it so much easier. It's like if I did the show only by myself, I might have trouble making time for it or motivating myself. Yeah. But like with you, it's like, OK, we have a date. We have a we have an appointment to do the we show together. And we we definitely have fun. We have a great time of it. So. Um, I think that's been really helpful having a bar, a, an accountability buddy or a partner to do the, do the show with. And you also do like half the work for the show. You post it and do the social media, which I hate. So, yep. <laughs> and you make the cover art, which I hate. So, and I do all the all the other stuff. I do the WordPress site and I do the uh, the audio stuff. So, I think we make a really good team in that way. Yeah. But you know, I'm also thinking since it's been a year and we we seem to be able to handle doing the show on a weekly basis, pretty much, um, with a few breaks here and there. I think that maybe during our season break between seasons three and four, um, we should uh, do some stuff to enhance Sex and Science Hour. And I know Ooh. we've been talking about this for a while, but um, one idea I've had for a while is I have this ba- I have this archive of all the podcasts I've ever done since 2009. Now, this is at this point, it's going on 10 years of podcasts. That's remarkable. That's a lot of podcasts. I mean, and you're talking about Free Talk Live uh, pork I'm therapy. talking about pork therapy from the very beginning. Yeah. Free Talk Live appearances on tons of little guest shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prometheus Unchained I used to be on. <laughs> um, let's talk Bitcoin, of course. The Free Talk Live internet only Sunday show and then the radio Sunday show. Right. The times I've been on Sovereign Tech, which has been quite a few times. Yes. The times we've been on School Socks. The times just there's so many podcasts. Like it's so much po- it's an podcast incredible content. body of work. Yeah. And it's like. A lot of people have asked me for that, too. Like, occasionally I'll get an email that says, hey, where can I listen to all your old shows, especially for Pork Therapy? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, I think they're on the Pork Therapy site, but that's not really easy to to, uh, access. So what I was thinking of doing was using Patreon for that and creating a Patreon page for myself and saying, I'm going to put all my old podcasts up there and I'll, you know, tag them and stuff. I'll hashtag them. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, you can pay, you know, be my patron and you can have access to all my old shows and they're cataloged for you there. And then we'll also put, you know, Sex and Science Hour content up there, of course. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Sex and Science Hour, of course, is the, like included in there. That's yeah. another show that we that I've been doing. So, yeah, I put it all up there and then put the new stuff there. And then, you know, maybe we can do some listener hangouts or something like once a month. We do a Google Hangout with Sex and Science Hour or we do a live call in show, but it's only on Patreon. Yeah, so I've done this. That's what people want, too. They want the live call-in. Yeah, I've been doing this like once a month with yep. Sovereign Tech where I do a, a live like call-in, and it's through Google Hangouts. Um, and they're they're great. Like, I mean, a lot of fun. Um, sometimes there's technical hiccups, but I, I, I really, yeah, I think people would love that. I'd, I think they'd love to be a part yeah, of it. Yeah, I think that would be really, really, really cool. Um, okay, so we might actually do that. That's great. Well, now I have a record of having talked my idea out on the air. So yeah. <laughs> I can go back and listen to this show if I forget about it, which I probably will. Um, 
And then another thing I was thinking of is um, we actually do have a, a Sex and Science Hour Facebook page, but I haven't um, bothered starting to add people to it yet or right. like curating content on there. So um, it, it's not a Facebook page, actually. It's sorry. It's a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. which everybody seems to like way better than Facebook pages because you can actually interact with people and people can meet each other. And I think that's actually pretty important to have for Sex and Science Hour because people want to meet other people who listen to Sex and Science Hour. Yes. You know what I mean? Like they want to meet other freaks like themselves. Yeah. Or just other people have similar interests, right? Like if you like this podcast, somebody else likes this podcast you don't know, there's probably a pretty good chance that you two might get along, right? And maybe you don't even know each other before this. Yeah, you know, I'll admit, and this is, you know, not not to not to put a damper on, mm-hmm. on, on anything like this. Like, I've thought about this sort of stuff for, like, with my own show, with mm-hmm. Sovereign Tech and all that. And I'm always a little worried that the listeners are going to start hating each other. And and, <laughs> and then, then they'll get turned off from your podcast. And then they get turned off from the podcast. <laughs> Why like, would they start hating each well, other? I'm I'm just saying I might have experienced this sort of thing with other shows, where like oh, you well know, that no, it would be different. I, I, because I'm saying a multitude of shows. I'm not just talking about one. I'm, okay, you know, and I mean, and this is the like this is the odd thing with with podcasts and social media, like. It doesn't seem to make sense to me. All right. For example, my favorite podcast is Security Now. Yeah. Okay. With Steve Gibson. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no Security Now accounts. You can follow Steve Gibson or it's on the Twit Network and you can follow Twit, whatever. Okay. Steve Gibson has like 20,000 Twitter followers. He doesn't have a Facebook account. None of that stuff. Okay. So he, only, so he has 20,000 followers. He gets like around 200,000 downloads per episode. But he only has 20,000 people that f- just follow him. And I know that a good chunk of that 20,000 doesn't even listen to his show. Yeah, sure. Like, I know that for a fact. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, like, social media, I, I, there seems to be a disconnect with how much a show. Yeah, sure. Some people only listen to the podcast, but they don't want to connect in other ways. Right. And that's fine. Yeah, yeah, right. right. But some people really do love that social aspect. Yeah. Well, so I don't can, know if there's value in it, but, you know, that's something I've been having on the back burner for a while. Right. Um, and we do have the Facebook page. We just need some cover art, Brian, hint, hint. So I, I get that, made Fire up that me demo. Oh, yeah, you did. But we we put it on our Twitter page and I didn't put it on the Facebook page yet. Okay. All okay. right. Well, yeah, I, I think this is exciting stuff and we'll we'll try it out. Yeah. So eventually I'll make, I'll get around to that probably in the season break. I'll get around to opening that up for public consumption and then we'll announce it when it's like sort of ready to join and we'll start building it up and stuff. So, okay, cool. Because I, I think that'd be valuable. So yes. anyway, for now, the way we support our show is stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. That's our Amazon affiliate link. And uh, you can shop through there, do your normal shopping and buy stuff. It doesn't change the price you pay. It doesn't change anything except... You get to support Sex and Science Hour with your shopping, and it also generates this handy-dandy list of stuff that people bought, and then we get to creep on them and figure out, like, and talk about it. And always <laughs> except it we dandy. don't know, Except we don't know who bought it, so it's anonymous. It's just a list of stuff that was purchased in the passive voice, as it were, yes. <laughs> through our link. So, so that means we get to speculate about it even more. So what did people buy through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week? Well, the first one is in in the Audible department, Sex at Dawn, the audiobook. Aha! This was one of the first audiobooks that I listened to when I started getting into audiobooks. I actually gave you the copy. You did. You did. Actually, Brian had an Audible subscription and he let me use his Audible account. Well, I, I ripped it. 
I ripped it and I think I sent you the MP3 files. Oh, that was okay. Well, you also let me use your Audible account. Yeah, that we do that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to encourage pirating of audiobooks. I think that's shitty because you know they're they're trying to get paid. But actually, probably whoever did that audiobook is probably not doing any kind of royalty sharing. So they probably got play, paid a flat fee. The narrator yeah. did, and it was some big production company and stuff. So anyway, um, it doesn't really matter. But, um. But that was a great audiobook, and I learned a lot. I listened to it at work, great and book. it was really fun. Um, so somebody got that on Audible. Very cool. In the beauty department, we had the Panasonic ERGB40S Precision Hair and Beard Trimmer for Wet Dry, and it's 40 bucks. the price point. Now, Brian, ah. we, we had a little experience this week where I tried to get you a beard trimmer that you requested because, you know, you need to trim your beard shit grows out of your face and you need to cut it <laughs> well i'll admit this is something new for me um yeah yeah you, know, you I, usually I have, just shave everything off but yeah. now you've recently kind of grown this little goatee i thing. have a goatee going i on. like it yeah i think it's pretty cool yeah I, th- I think it like i can i can't i tried growing a beard i can't do it like it, it just doesn't the hair on the sides of my face just like goes out like like whiskers it kind of floofs out yeah, yeah. And, and it just doesn't it just doesn't work but, but the if, goatee, you have a little, if you have a couple days of stubble or like up to a week i think that's sexy i think it looks good well thank you it's pretty much universal all women love that um, if won, they love men i guess yeah you know like i've never found the device other than an electric razor that gives you like that permanent or like that that maintains say uh, a little bit more than a five o'clock shadow because i agree right. i like that feeling yeah, um, I know they need to find a trimmer like that. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, so yeah, so we had an experience where we ordered one and then like. And then I got some notification. We actually ordered it with the Sex and Science Hour credit that we get from our show. Yeah. From our affiliate link. And um, we were going to thank the Sex and Science Hour listeners for that, for buying Brian a beard trimmer. But uh, I kept getting these emails saying that the shipment is delayed. Yeah. And so we don't know what's going on with it if we're, you're ever going to get your beard trimmer. I don't know. I mean, do something I, about your facial hair in the meantime. Yeah. I mean, I've got these like just gray hairs. Like, oh boy. Oh, that's sexy. Well, thank oh, you. that's a humble brag. Come on. No, I, 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 well, <laughs> I'm getting old. This, <laughs> oh, no, you're getting wiser and sexier and better with age. Yeah. Just like we all are, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, this Panasonic trimmer is popular. It's got 2,200 customer reviews and 209 answered questions. I wonder if any of the reviews are funny. <laughs> I don't know. It look, Are you okay? Yes. Sorry. That was, it was a yawn and a laugh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. All right. Well, in the cell phones department, we had a couple of things. Um, a Type-C, um, USB Type-C cable, $12.99 price point. And the WizGear Universal, it it feels like every week somebody buys a one of those. <laughs> somebody buys a USB-C cable, but that's okay. Yeah, you know, it's good. You need them. And we had the WizGear Universal Air Vent Magnetic Car Mount Holder for smartphones and mini tablets. Nice. So this is like a magnetic phone holder that you put, you stick it in your air vent, and then your phone just <laughs> sucks to it. And does that only work with iPhones? No, I don't think so. I mean, they're showing an iPhone in the picture, but no, it's, it holds any smartphone. Okay, cool. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. So that was seven ninety nine. I should probably get one of those. I feel like that's probably a good a, a good idea to have, right? Should I add that to my cart? I'll add it to my cart. All right. Good call. Why not add it to my cart? All good right, call. I'm sold. I've been I've been upsold. Um, <laughs> in the computer department, we had an Ethernet cable, 
Uh, just standard run-of-the-mill one, 75 feet, so maybe someone's having a land party. You know, when I was in college, I told you I've been dreaming about college a lot lately. This is something I haven't <laughs> dreamed about, but it's probably like the stuff of people's dreams. So I lived on a floor my freshman year of college that was all for biology students. It was like the bio floor. Ooh. But below us, the floor below us, was the computer science floor. Ooh. And there was one woman, and there was like everyone else was a man. Or a boy, I guess. A bro, I don't know. A college <laughs> boy. Um, <laughs> a male. <laughs> and they would have literal LAN parties where they would take their computers and they would connect them with cables and stuff. Or they would hook up to a hub or something yep. like that. And the whole floor would have a LAN party and people would like lugging their desktop computers around. This was like 2002 and 2003. That's awesome. So this was a while ago. <laughs> Playing Jedi Academy. It was. It was awesome. And I would go down there and see it. Uh, somebody bought an EVGA uh, power supply, 88 bucks. It's a 850-watt power supply. That nice. looks like a Lots nice one. Yeah, I mean, even the box, it looks like, I don't know, it looks like there should be like a hunk of ribs in there or something. Like, it looks powerful. <laughs> <laughs> like, it definitely gets good branding. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, this is this is an interesting thing. I mean, like, you know, a lot of gaming products, like, it's amazing the amount of... I don't you know. I don't want to say machismo. I don't know, but they're, like they're they've really gotten that down to where like no, we're gonna make everything look badass. Yeah, I like, mean, I like think they every do a pretty piece, good job of it. Every part of your computer, every component for your PC looks like it can kill you, and uh, you know, <laughs> and you want it to. Yeah, <laughs> You'll be begging for it by the time this night is over. Yeah, but I do want to say, you know, of course, uh, just real quick, you know, a quick thank you to gamers, to PC gamers particularly. Uh, I I literally think they're saving the world because without Why? PC gaming, um, we the cloud revolution would be over. Like, I mean, everybody would just have all their shit on the cloud. But PC gaming says, no, nope, mm. you can't give me thin clients. You can't store all my shit in the cloud. I need stuff local. I need the power local in my house. And and they are really holding back a very ugly future. Uh, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, that's and, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and also PC gamers. What is a thin client? Something that doesn't have like a computer with not yeah, like storage space? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that, that'd be a thin client, which is a very old idea right. to where you're logging you into the network. And you just get everything off the cloud. Yeah. You get everything off of a yeah. server or whatever, you know, which again, there's no such thing as a cloud. There's just somebody else's computer. Yeah, exactly. Why right. would you want that? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, also, you know, and this is something that like you and I have recently experienced, I mean, gaming equipment is usually the creme de la creme. You know, it often doesn't come cheap. And when it comes cheap, it breaks easy. Uh, <laughs> right. So gaming equipment is often the creme de la creme. And like anything you need done, like you have me, uh, like I, I, I edit audiobooks for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And all of my gaming equipment, my Logitech MX mouse, my, uh, you know, my headset, you know, the computer, everything, like it's able to, even though it was not designed for that job, Whatever job you throw at a gamer that, you know, that's computer, you know, computer necessary, whatever centric um, they can do, you know, and they have the best equipment in the world to do it right out of the gate. So, I mean, you know, just my my hats off to PC gamers, uh, especially. I mean, you just really you are saving the world. Yay. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, should we talk, should we talk about this? I forgot to mention it. I was promoting the passive income book for my one audiobook action item earlier. But um I recently had an audiobook released that you edited, Brian, 
It's called, it, it, and it was so funny because you were posting about it on Facebook and everyone's like, oh, I want to read that. But then they looked at the reviews and they're like, maybe I don't want to read that. <laughs> and it's called, I don't know if this will go anywhere, but it's called The Dragons of Manhattan. And oh, it's, a rom- yeah. it's a romance book about... <laughs> <laughs> romance. It's a romance. It's, it's not that erotic, actually. There's only two sex scenes in the whole book. Uh-huh. Um, and they're kind of like... Um, I'll just say they're I, on fire. They're, no, they were <laughs> no the dragons. The dragon stuff honestly was kind of more interesting than the sex <laughs> scenes to me. Um, it's about this fe- like dystopian future where the, the dragon like burns down half of New York, and how terrible! It, yes, it's terrible, <laughs> and they can't get rid of the dragon. Nobody knows what to do. And New York's in a crisis, and um, there's a therapist that goes to work there with the trauma victims from the burning of the dragon. And then the first patient who walks into her <laughs> office, of course, is like, uh, well, it was me. I was the dragon. I can turn into a dragon. And did you know I can turn into a little dragon, too, that's like the size of a lizard, like a like an iguana? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, right. You can't turn into a dragon. This but is then the weirdest ass Later book. that night, the little dragon, the iguana dragon, shows up in her apartment and mists through the wall and turns into a naked man. And she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you broke into my apartment. Well, I guess I'll fuck you now. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the name of the book again? It's called Dragons of Manhattan. And it's Sounds by like... Maria Amor, narrated by Stephanie Murphy. <laughs> Edited by Brian Sorry. Edited by Brian Sovereign. <laughs> it sounds like the title just sounds like it should be the sequel to the West Side Story. You know? Yeah, it really <laughs> Dragons does. Dragons versus the Sharks. It really does. Yeah, and it doesn't help that the author's Maria, but. There's yeah. <laughs> no. the Mama Luke's. Yeah. <laughs> West Side Story, I haven't seen that in a while. I can't do it. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, anyway, if you want to listen to, if you like romance books or if you like paranormal romance, you may enjoy that. It's kind of cool. So, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, our next item is uh, something that's very practical where we live in New Hampshire. It's the OXO Good Grips Extendable Twister Snow Brush with Ice Scraper. This is one of those snow brush slash scrapers that you can use to clean off your car windshield when it snows out and your car is parked outside. And this is an essential item in New Hampshire because, you know, it snows a lot. And it's like a two-in-one, so very good thing to have somebody actually thought this was such a good thing to have that they bought two of them or maybe two people bought the same item i'm not sure but yeah there were two of those purchased oh okay yep um this is cool a doorknob hanger you know like when you go to a hotel and you can put a door hanger on that says do not disturb if you're fucking or sleeping um, or taking a shower or whatever if you just don't want any company um well it's like one of those Except it says on the air. So it's like an air, it's like a door hanger that says on the air and it has a microphone and it's red. So like if you're podcasting or something. You might want one of those. You want to put, yeah, you put the on the air thing and it's only seven bucks. Good call. You know what? I'm going to add that to my cart as well. Good call. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. I wonder who's doing that. It's probably someone we know. Probably. If you are becoming a new podcaster, let us know. This is cool. This person brought bought eight of these. And it's a sign, it's an aluminum weatherproof sign that says private property, no trespassing. Okay. Yeah. I mean you gotta protect your property, you gotta put them up all around the property so everybody knows. And they'll stop people. 
<laughs> uh, well, I mean, I I don't go on property when I see that. I don't want to get shot, you know, or I don't want to traipse on somebody else's land. It's like if they don't want me there, I don't want to go there. There you go. I mean, not everybody has that attitude, but unfortunately, like animals certainly don't care, but humans keeps the humans out. Some humans, not keep, like they were going to go on the land anyway, except by accident. Keep the humans out. I think that's a yeah, that's yeah. a good philosophy to live by. Keep the humans keep out. Keep the humans out. All right, that's your takeaway from Sex and Science <laughs> Hour this that's, week. That's right. Keep the humans keep, keep out. The humans away. <laughs> All right. In the kitchen department, we had the Osaka Six Cup Cold Brew Coffee Dripper. With glass carafe, Mount Fuji. That's what it's. That's what the model is called. So this is a cold brew coffee maker that you put it in, and I, I guess it has an ice chamber and an adjustable dripper, and you you can make cold brew coffee in it, which is all the rage now. It it was at a ninety dollar price point, but it's been reduced to thirty dollars. So hey. that sounds like a pretty good deal. And this is a thirty ounce one. Create a delicious cold-brewed coffee with this slow extract process that guarantees much lower acidity than regular coffee. It takes about three to four hours for the full four cups. So it must be like a gravity flow thing. Yeah, okay. Um, optimized for ultimate control and full flavor, adjustable dripper lets you control the quality of the coffee. I love it. Plastic top chamber and glass carafe ensure fresh-tasting cold coffee. Hebrew. Yes, you're the Hebrew. I'm the Shebrew. The Shebrew. Except I don't make, I don't brew coffee. I brew tea. I think I might have a feeling who bought this because I know somebody who loves cold brew coffee. So if you're listening, you know who you are. Oh. <laughs> you have to tell me later who it is. Okay, I think you know who it is. I do? I will find out. <laughs> Well, you will once I tell you. Anyway. Yeah, well, obviously. Oh, uh, okay. So uh, we have the Donner Clip-On Music uh, Stand Night Light. Uh, so in the musical instruments department, this is like a light that you would clip onto the back of one of those music stands. Like if you're giving a concert and it's dark and you're in the orchestra or something, mm -hmm. you need to be able to see your music. So what do you do? Well, you clip a light onto the back of the stand and then you can read the music in the dark. So this was nine ninety nine. It has like two okay. little little antennas that you just put over it, and it lets you read your music. So that's cool. That's you need that. Um, in the sports and outdoors section, we had a mini bike pump by Pro Bike Tool. Um, that is twenty five bucks, and it's a hand bicycle pump. So you, it almost looks like you're jerking off a dick, but you can pump up your tires anytime you need it. Well, that's handy. Yep, yep, definitely. Fast cap pliers, flush cut trimmers for seventeen fourteen. Those are useful to have. Wire cutters, uh, stainless steel resistance wire seven fifty. That gets bought sometimes, and we don't know why. And then a uh, ultra high speed USB wall charger. So this is one of those outlets where it has the plugs plus the USB plugs. Nice. That somebody purchased. So thank you so much. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. We love our listeners. And as always, you can find us online at sexandsciencehour.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next Friday. Woo!